0: Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the Back of the Range. And here's your host, Ben
1: Adelberg. And welcome to the Back of the Range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 153. What an incredible experience being on site at the U.S. Amateur. As many of you know, I was there as a content contributor for the USGA, working with their amazing team, both on-site and off-site, to add some narrative to the championship. Tons of great memories and stories that I'm sure I will be sharing for quite some time, but not quite yet. Truthfully, I'm still unpacking, catching up on sleep, going through videos and photos, and just trying to get back into the swing of things here in South Florida. But if you want to see some of the photos and videos that I posted, please go check out the Instagram and Facebook pages. That's where I posted everything. The handle for Instagram is the Back of the Range podcast. And this episode, like all the previous ones, is available on the website, thebackoftherange.com. I'm getting to this episode quickly because, truthfully, it should have been posted last week during the U.S. Amateur. Definitely a bogey on my part, but me and the boys in the wedge room at Band Dunes were pulling 12- to 15-hour days I just didn't have time to get the episode posted last week. But my guest on this episode is the 2000 U.S. Amateur Champion Jeff Quinney. Not only is he celebrating the 20th anniversary of his victory, but he is also a Eugene, Oregon native, and he qualified at Bandon Dunes. So we spoke about Bandon, spoke about the win at Baltusrol, and one very interesting fact about the Havemeyer Trophy. Again, this episode was recorded before the U.S. Amateur So you'll hear us talking a lot about what these players might expect. And it's actually interesting to go back and listen to it because some of his predictions were spot on. The weather changed dramatically from one day to the next. Wind, sun, and then of course during the final, the fog rolled in. Lots to talk about as far as this year's U.S. Amateur goes. That will happen in a future episode. But for now, let's welcome in the winner of the 100th U.S. Amateur. Jeff Quinney. Jeff, welcome to the Back of the Range. How are you?
0: Oh, great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, 20 years ago, it's time has flown by.
1: <laughs> well, we're, we're right around the same age. I think I'm a couple years older than you. And yeah, you, you, you basically took the words right out of my mouth. You're looking back on this. It's U.S. Amateur Week. It's being contested at Bandon Dunes. That's actually where you did your qualifier for the 2000 U.S. Amateur. So just to hit it off right off the bat looking back 20 years um does that even seem real that it's 20 years ago
0: no time has flown by um you know i look back at those old videos and highlights or whatever and see how skinny and young i was and (laughs) to see the guys where you know i played against and where their careers have gone and it's pretty awesome times you know being part of that usam club is just it's pretty special that uh yeah, it's on your resume the rest of your year it's kind of a a club they can never take away from you
1: yeah i was looking back it was funny when we were talking before before we decided before we recorded i you know i mentioned i found this this like 8 or 9 minute clip of really i guess maybe the last 4 or 5 holes of that that final match against driscoll and you were like hey send that to me uh, i, I want to take a look at that I mean, was this the first time that you really looked back and and watched it? Or, I mean, I'm sure you've seen highlights right after the fact, but how long ago was it that you really looked back at at the last few holes of that?
0: Yeah, I know my mom and my, um, we have some old VHS tapes and I've seen some of them and I really Really? needed a good, a good job of, better job of maybe converting those to DVDs or something. And, but yeah, that that Ian Baker Finns did a little highlight film. Yeah. that really that was really cool and i sent to after you forwarded that to me i forwarded to a lot of friends and posted on a few things and people were they remember where they were when they watched that monday morning finish and um you know it's pretty awesome finish and i wanted tried to throw it away but luckily came up on top and um pretty special moment
1: yeah well we'll talk a little bit about the the u.s amateur run from basically from beginning to end it was held at Baltus one of the most, uh, you know, historic courses. I mean, gosh, you know, Tillinghast Design back in 1918. I mean, this is really one of the, the gems, so to speak, when you think of USGA uh, locations. But before we get to New Jersey, let's start a little bit where things kicked off for you. I mean, tremendous success at the junior level in, in Oregon. I know you played your collegiate uh, golf at Arizona State, but junior golf. And first of all, let's get this right out of the way. Are you the best athlete in your family?
0: Uh, probably not. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm the youngest of four boys, and uh, we all played Division one sports. We kind of all had a little niche, had a tennis player, football player, basketball player. Um, my dad was played College Hopes at BYU, um, so we kind of just, sports were th- our thing in our family, so...
1: And, and basketball was kind of your thing. I know that obviously you had the great junior career. You won you know, high school champion in 97 and Rolex All-American in 96. But basketball was kind of your thing. It wasn't like you were this junior golf prodigy where you were just tunnel vision on making it to the PGA Tour ever since you were 12, right?
0: That's completely true. Um, you know, growing up in Oregon, our season was pretty, pretty short. You know, I didn't touch a golf club probably until March after basketball season was over you know, played play basketball three years. So during the winter, that was, we were hundred percent basketball and, you know, maybe hit a bucket of balls Christmas day. You know, I, I pretty much took six months off in the, in the winter, which in a way kind of made me not burn out. You know, i I right. thought of, I saw a lot of people in Southern California, Arizona, you know, you're playing 12 months a year. It's, it's great. You might get better, but you really don't have another, an outlet to to get away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know your, your collegiate career progressed, you know, from, from freshman year. I mean, great, basically great seasons every year at Arizona state. And you get to this magical year in 2000, where I know you'd qualify or attempted to qualify several times for the U.S. amateur, but the one you win in 2000 is the first one you get into. And I mean, it just kind of works out perfectly for, for, the timing of our conversation. It's US Amateur Week, but not only do you win it, but you qualify at Bandon Dunes, which is where it's being held this year. So, this is a relatively new golf course. I think it opened in 99. So, this is 2000. It's v- brand new. It's something completely different, probably, than what a lot of the collegiate players are used to seeing. You being in the desert, I'm sure it was something a little bit different, even though you did grow up in Oregon. So, going into Bandon and seeing it and going through practice rounds. What was your initial reaction to this place?
0: Pretty awesome. You know, I I played in a match play tournament, the Pacific Northwest uh, match play tournament previous that summer. Was able to win that. So I was really familiar with the course, you know, played six or seven matches, a couple of qualifying rounds. And like you said, this this was my first time being able to qualify for the USAM. I had lost in playoffs in previous previous years. You know, you qualify since you're probably 16 years old. And could never get to the actual event, let alone try to win it. So that summer was just really a, a crazy summer of just playing great golf. Um, won the Organ Am, one which is a match play event.
1: Yeah,
0: won the PNGA, which was a match play event. So I was kind of just in that match play mode all summer long. Um, you know, I go to and Dun- or go to uh, We play the lower course to start. I think I'm five over after the first nine holes and basically thinking, all right, we're packing bags. We're, (laughs) we're out of here. I think I shoot maybe even on the back 75 first round on the, on the lower, which is where they play the championship U S open and PGA's. And then second, second round was on the upper where we actually played the matches. I shot, you know, 69 to qualify, I think middle of the pack. And, um, you know, all the matches were played on the upper, which, probably was really advantage more uh advantage to me it was just a little bit shorter greens were so fast and you had to be below the hole and if the matches were probably played on the lower i definitely would have probably not won it in my opinion
1: yeah well before we get into a couple of those matches i just i wanted to get back a little bit to bandon when um when did you get paired up with uh, Tyler Pendergast?
0: Yeah, so he caddied for me um, during that P&J that I wasn't mentioned before. Yeah, and so we had success, and he, he knew my game. He he really knew those abandoned greens. All the, you know, if you're caddying abandoned every day, you know it's a type of course where if it's windy, if it's foggy, there's so many different conditions, and you know he had the experience, so we decided to to get him on the bag. And once we had success, is said, "Why not?" Have qualified for the, the locally, and then once we did qualify, he was able to come back to New Jersey with me and Mike Kaiser, uh, owner of Bandon was kind enough to, to send him back there and um, help me out.
1: Yeah, the um, the since two thousand six, Bandon Dunes has been hosting USGA championships, whether it's the Curtis Cup or the you know the public links before it obviously was taken off the calendar. But um, I, I've spoken to a couple of caddies at Bandon Dunes and no USGA champion has ever been crowned at Bandon Dunes without having a local caddy on the bag so interesting, yeah. interesting little bit of trivia there I, i'm you know you're right now you're the best co- collegiate players and amateurs and mid-ams and, and seniors in the in the world are at Bandon right now it, it can't be overstated the importance of having a local caddy on the bag can it
0: i would definitely recommend it i mean you you have so many different conditions wind directions you know for one day it might be downwind one it might be into the wind you have fog delays, you have rain, you know, I think it's just like, even like a pebble beach or, you know, the greens, there's so many different pin locations. There's no way you could do enough prep probably in the practice rounds to really, to know every situation. But obviously, you know, if you have your, your friend or buddy, or dad, they might know your game that might help you mentally. So there's probably a little 50, 50 trade off there versus local knowledge versus somebody that, you know, can really handle the heat. They might not, they might know the course, but you know, when you get into top amateur golf and you know, it's a long mental battle and being able to coach you and, and help you that way. So, uh, but I, I would definitely use a local caddy. Yeah. if I had The choice.
1: Yeah. The, the players are there already on site. I'm sure they've kind of made already made their decisions on how they're going to go as far as what their caddy selection is going to be. But as far as viewers, people watching it on TV or, or, or matches that are streaming, what are maybe some things you can think of that some of these viewers are going to see that maybe they're not used to seeing when they're, I mean, is this going to be kind of like what it is to watch an open championship either in, in Scotland or Ireland or, or, or in the UK? Is that basically how they should go into it? What to, what you're going to be seeing?
0: Yeah, I think over, you know, two days of qualifying, I think whatever, five days of match play, you're going to probably see every weather pattern come into to play. You know, it could, it's going to be pretty awesome. I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. It'll be interesting how much television coverage they really have. And, um, but yeah, it, it's basically, you know, you're in the United States, you're in Oregon, but you don't feel like you're there. It's a pretty special place.
1: Yeah. Well, you win the qualifier. I think you went up by, gosh, five or six. I think you shot 69, 65, something along those lines to, to get into this U.S. amateur. And like you said, you you grab uh, you grab Tyler and you, you head out to Jersey. You go from, the, the fescue-laden links of Bandon to, you know, bent grass and, and, and rye at at, uh, at Roll. I'm guessing this is, I mean, you're playing your college golf in the desert in Arizona and all the, all the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever it was at that point, I guess it was Pac-10, but you're playing all your golf out there. What is, I think you alluded to it earlier, but your initial reaction of Baltus what what did you see there other than <laughs> hallways that looked like fairways? Yeah, I
0: mean that <clears throat> that place is just a, a championship venue, man. It's a huge course, great clubhouse. You know, hot, humid week. Um, you know, the you know grow, growing up in the Northwest, I was I was familiar with the grasses. I think you know, Pocono greens, in you know, the bent fairways and bent or you know, ride right rough. Um, so the grasses were, were actually okay, uh, but it man, it was hot and humid all week, and just a a true fitness test of mental and uh, physical test
1: and i'm looking at and looking at the video uh this is uh 20 years before the moisture wicking uh materials that everyone gets to wear on hot humid days on the golf course and i'm just seeing a <laughs> lot of heavy full cotton shirts being worn out there
0: yeah i mean i, I <laughs> shoot i was skinny back then i'm probably wearing an extra large shirt where you're
1: you're drowning in the it.
0: the sleeves are down to your elbows and you're just tugging on them you know they're getting in your way and you're telling your face down and I didn't wear a hat back then for whatever reason, and um,
1: well, it's for the TV. It's it's for the marketing. That's yeah. What it is. I mean, it's gotta-
0: yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty dang hot. Um You just so mentally drained, but at, you know, at twenty one, you're you're just kept going. You're just such on an adrenaline rush that nothing can really stop you.
1: you know, like you said earlier, you you were like six over through the first seven. You you really make a a great comeback to to post a seventy five in the first round, and you shoot sixty nine the next day, and you make the cut probably right around the middle of the pack. I think the cut was uh, 146, 147, something like that. So you make it by a couple and and you're in, which is really all you need to do. You just got to get in. Do you, you know, a lot of these players are going to be dealing with the same stuff, especially playing Banded Dunes and then playing Banded Trails. I know trails, from what I've heard, can be really tricky with swirling swirling winds right around the middle of the round when you go back into the forest. And there's going to be times, I I guarantee there's going to be guys that have shot, uh, you know, tough rounds on one course and they really need to make it up the second day. Do you remember kind of what your approach was going into that second stroke play round?
0: I think I was just nervous the first day, you know, first U.S. amateur, yeah. you know, going through registration, you just see all the top players, all your, all your buddies and collegiate, you know, just the way the USGA runs the tournament It just feels like a, a special place. Yeah. And maybe I just kind of you know the lower course was so tough, and I just probably just kept on hitting in the rough, you know, and chipping out. The course was so demanding that I just kept making bogeys. Um, you get on that upper course, it was just a little, maybe a little bit more scoreable. I think I just got out of my own way, and you know, I had to go for it. It wasn't like I was shooting par and trying to protect. Yeah, I had to go make birdies to 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 make the cut. So
1: you uh, you had these great. I mean, gosh, every single round, we're not going to go through everything, single, every single one, obviously, but I mean, you catch a, 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 I guess, so to speak, you catch a little bit of a breather in the first round with that, you win your match six and five, but then it's really uh, just a murderer's row of, you, you know, you, you get past Lucas Glover, who goes on to win a U.S. open, you get past Ben Curtis after, I mean, the third round, Ben Curtis open champion quarterfinals, Hunter Mahan, you know, presence cup, uh, you know, hero Ryder cup hero and those two rounds really you have these amazing comebacks four down and three down up until that point have you really had experience in match play being that far down and maybe for people listening that play match play in their you know maybe in their member uh you know club championship or or even you know people listening that are gonna play in the u.s amateur someday and can you pinpoint something that you focused on just to kind of keep you going through those two uh those two rounds
0: you know I, i'm trying to look back on memories nothing really jumps up to, as far as previous match play but i think that's just part of my my mental makeup i was just never give up you know it was just a, a fight, and it was that type of course where park and win you a lot of holes and i think maybe they got a little defensive you know they're trying to just steer it in that's kind of what i did at the last match too is right it's so hard that if you make a part a lot of times you're going to win the hole. It was playing that difficult that week and it was just a little bit of of luck on my side where they'd maybe miss a short putt or lip out or you know they had they had plenty of, of times to eliminate me. I remember Ben Curtis had like a four footer straight up the hill to to beat me on like the twenty second hole and leaves it short.
1: Oh my God.
0: <laughs> Little things like that. You have to have so many breaks go your way in a match play because there's just so many different variables of playing good or run into a buzz one day. or just—I think you just play shot by shot, hole by hole. You know, you can't look ahead. And I think I think it just helps you really stay in the present. Maybe when I get in stroke play events, you kind of get a hold of yourself and ahead of yourself and look beyond just that the shot or that hole. and You can play your opponent and it's kind of like a tennis match, you know, they can make a mistake and you just play safe and, and let them, you know, give you the hole.
1: Yeah. You get, uh, you, you get to the finals against James Driscoll. He had graduated from Virginia just to back. And I mean, I think you were two up after the first 18 hole uh, after the first round and or first 18 hole session, so to speak. And then you're off to the second one. And as you know, anyone that, that knows the history of this match, I mean, by I think you've said it you know you you had him I mean you were really there where I think you were up two or three and then lost the last three holes to to have it go into um into sudden death and you know he makes these this great par on 18 he makes this great up and down for birdie on 17 out out of a fairway bunker from like I don't know 50 60 yards and you go to the first playoff hole and it's it's getting dark and it's it's getting dangerous with weather coming in and you know, I know people will always remember that that 30, 35 footer you make to win it on the first playoff hole or the third playoff hole, which is actually the following morning. But the one thing I got to ask you about is, you know, when I think of bunker shots being held to win a to win a major championship, I mean, I'm old enough to remember Bob Tway in the '86 PGA where he's just jumping up and down.
0: But, yeah, I remember that. Yeah,
1: yeah. but that that was almost you because you almost hole out for birdie on the first playoff hole out of the bunker. And the reaction in that video piece that I sent you, which I'll post online, the, the the reaction of you is I'm guessing it's just like you've, it looks like you're like, you've got to be kidding me. How did that not go in?
0: Yeah. I think you're just like, the momentum was such on his side, you know, the crowd, he had, a, you know, probably 50, 60 family members. I got about <laughs> five members that have made the trip. Uh, you know a couple my brother and his wife and my coach had flown on a red-eye flight that night and my brother was showed up in his golf shoes because he was playing golf on the course Saturday and gets on a flight uh, without any luggage and he's on a red-eye from Oregon to New Jersey and yeah basically that that first hole and that bunker shot I watched that highlight as well I think it was maybe coming a little bit hot little little but it you know had a chance to hit the pin and go in and I think you were just ready for something. I want this to be over and done with. Right, and right. um, how the way the 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 momentum was going that basically that weather day was huge for me. Sure. I think it definitely helped me regroup. And you're just so tired and and just digging down deep for what you had left in the tank. And um, what a battle. And James is a good buddy of mine still. And um, I think he's still trying to play. But uh, yeah. yeah, all those guys are. All those guys are good friends and it's pretty fun to look back but yeah that was a that was a hard evening to sleep on and given given those three holes away when you think you can close out the match and he played pulls off some unbelievable like you said those bunker shots and, and up and downs the the force just that crazy match play that's kind of what i did to ben curtis and hunter may and you know they were hadn't thought they had me closed out and you know, I was trying to come back just like he did.
1: You guys have the, the first playoff hole, the 37th hole, and then you come to 38, and who who initiated the conversation when you guys are both on the green with identical short putts and you guys go good-good? Yeah, you-
0: I mean, they were probably, they were outside the good-good range. I mean, I mean they were was- a good three-feet. Um, I honestly think I had the tougher putt. I want to say mine was a little, you know, a, a slightly downhill, you know, left-to-righter that you know, under those circumstances, you could easily miss that. Sure, and I think the both of us kind of looked at each other. Like none of us want to win on this right. little teaser. Um, and yeah, we kind of just looked at each other. I don't know who I can't remember who initiated it, but I think we were both both didn't want to hit that putt, and we we're buying fine just going on to the next hole. And I think that was pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, I, I think that says a lot for for the nature of. I mean, look, you guys are in your early twenties. You're 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 playing for a national championship you know exactly what this means moving forward but it's just the nature of sportsmanship the nature of the game where both can say look this is a really big deal let's not have this be you know let's not have someone a win it because of this and also that doesn't ever go away you you miss a 3 footer yeah. that never goes away
0: yeah so yeah i think i don't think we were smart enough at the time to think of that but okay. yeah you imagine um, <laughs> To this day, we still have a
1: nightmare. As one of us, yeah, you know. So, and also, <laughs> it nightmare. goes with how you won. Like, yeah, hey, I remember when you won the USA when That guy choked on that two footer. Yeah, that. that yeah, he'd he make ninety
0: nine out of a hundred times, but just under the pressure and circumstances and fatigue, he missed it.
1: Yeah. So. so you go on. They call it due to weather, due to darkness, and you have to sleep on on this this basically one hole, or at least that's all you have in front of you, unless someone ties you this one hole. Sudden death. I know it's well chronicled that, you know, gosh, you probably didn't sleep very well and no one knows what the hell to say to you because of what just happened. I can imagine it's the completely different outlook on the other side. I'm guessing, you know, Team Driscoll is just can't wait. But you get to the to the next get to Baltimore the next morning and you're preparing for this playoff. How do you prepare And are you just basically hitting because you're playing a par three, you're just hitting five irons or how did you prepare for this, this, this playoff? Yeah, I
0: was actually talking to my brother Mark about this the other day, and he was back there and made that, that red eye trip. I was talking about, and he remembers Driscoll actually playing holes one and two. Um, I guess it's legal. You can go out and actually play a hole, which I didn't know was really legal. And obviously just probably checked with the rules officials and I just kind of went through my standard warm up, but yes, I was hitting that 200 yard shot multiple times. But you know, who knows how many holes you go? Know, so you're going through the bag. Um, I remember he, he hit a five iron. He's a longer hitter than me. He smashed a five iron long right, and I still, you know, still 200. That's a four in for me at the time. So I kind of hit a smooth four, safety first, thinking you know Par's going to win that hole because I knew he was dead where he hit it long and heating that actually hit a good chip and it still just rolled out past the pin onto the fringe, 15, 20 feet away. And I'm just trying to lag that 35 footer. If it doesn't hit the hole, that's probably five, six feet past the hole. And luckily, you know, goes in the cup and it's over.
1: Yeah. So. Now it was, I mean, that putt looked, looked like you said, I mean, it was completely online and perfect, but I saw that it was, it was moving just a little bit. So you win the trophy. You're the 2,000. You're the 100th U.S. amateur champion, and you know, I guess you're expecting, or at least people would expect, that your next order of business is hop a flight back to Eugene, Oregon, and celebrate with family and friends. And maybe there's a party at your club, or or maybe yeah. or maybe you're going back to Arizona State, and there's a party and with the golf with the golf team. But um, you got work to do because now you're on the world amateur team, and you got to fly to Germany. And to the guys on the team you actually beat on your way to winning, uh, Curtis and, and David Eager. Um, can you? When did the USGA tell you you were on the team? And did they just basically just like, all right, kid, grab the trophy and get on this plane? You're, we're we're sending you here. I mean, how was that? What was that timeline like?
0: Yeah, I don't know if they told us the winner either one of us was going to go. I remember they were. I remember they were talking about even Sunday afternoon, saying we're going to helicopter you to Newark, and then you're going to get on the flight. <laughs> and they want you there because it's the time change and I mean, it was crazy i remember exactly we finished monday morning and maybe have time to get some breakfast and afterwards and just have a little bit of celebration with my family but i'm yeah hop on a Lufthansa plane to to germany and i got no clothes all dirty all the week you know for the week basically right. um so i you know luckily i land there they have like a Seamstress or whatever they have gear. She's measuring me for pants, having my pants, and getting all the gear. You know, I'm I'm on a just mental high. I guess the only way I get through that week. But, right. Uh, Bryce Mulder was on the team as well, and, and Bryce ended up winning that individually, and we won it as a team. We beat yeah. Paul Casey, uh, Luke Donald, were on the other team, on the English team. I already missed one week of school, and that was another week of school. So my my senior year. I missed the first two weeks of class, and I'm way behind on a finance major degree. And teachers were threatening to, you know, fail me already. But pretty awesome to win a, a national title, and then going over to win the team title over in Germany. And that's pretty awesome.
1: When did you finally get to? Come home and relax and have a proper – what was your proper U.S. Amateur celebration?
0: I guess they might have sent the trophy to my coach or something like that, the USGA. They didn't, even, they
1: didn't let you take it to Germany, did they? No.
0: I mean, <laughs> even my my teammates had created a banner and coach, and they still kind of had to wait another week. They didn't realize I was going to Germany, so they even delayed their, their uh, celebration. But, yeah, I mean – I don't remember how a huge party down there, but yeah, they had a banner on my apartment and you go, you go into classrooms or whatever. And some professors that knew what golf was, they kind of would have me stand up and give me applause. And some people didn't know what the heck was going on. but uh,
1: <laughs> That's, that's awesome. I could just imagine that. You know. You're like, hello, I'm Jeff. I play golf. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> and then you had to get right back in the swing of things and the college. Yeah. It was a, a whirlwind little time. Um, just so, I guess on the high of energy is the only way you really get through it.
1: I mean, this is obviously the, the, the world amateur, the Eisenhower trophy is, is just the first of many things that came your way. I mean, you're playing in, you're playing in the 2001 U S open with Tiger of all people. And you're, you're playing, you get to play, um, you know, obviously the masters and, and all these different experiences. And I guess one of the questions I want to ask is that, you know, when you look at U S amateurs, uh, through, I mean, the last 20 years, you know, there, there's the, trajectory of their careers have gone in several different directions whether it's tiger whether it's you know victor hovlin and everyone in between you and and you know ben on and i mean just there's so many players that have have won this us amateur and where it's taken them looking back obviously you don't want to take anything away from it but does it did it put maybe a different kind of level of pressure on your professional career
0: i think so it it helped and put some pressure you know um you know, I didn't play well in the majors. So I think that definitely hurt my endorsement capabilities or potential or stock stock value, I guess what you call it. Um, so, and then, but I did get, you know, sponsor invites. I got like right. seven in, invites and didn't play great, but it provided opportunities uh, to, to get in some tournaments. You got, you got a you know, contract deal with Callaway. gives you a little bit of money to, to travel and uh, I guess, you know, I just wasn't really ready for the tour at 22, 23. Like these guys now are, I needed that one year on the Canadian tour, you know, four years on the corn Ferry tour and whatever the sponsor was at the time. And I needed, my game wasn't ready for the tour. You know, I was still pretty raw and just cause you win a couple of match play events, I some big ones, but I wasn't ready for the tour mentally or physically, I guess. Yeah.
1: I definitely don't want to skip over, you know, Walker Cup cuz this this amateur victory really puts you in line to making that team. I mean, unfortunately it's that one of the few times that GB and I comes over to the States and and wins and it was a, a you know 15 to 9 margins. The thing is the first time they actually retain the cup with two consecutive wins. You know, this is just a it's a great team and a great experience and I've had the fortune of speaking with several uh several Walker Cuppers in the past and you had, you know, your entire senior year at Arizona State to kind of come down from the, you know, craziness, so to speak, of of these, uh, uh, of all these accomplishments. What do you remember about Walker Cup?
0: Yeah, I think a pretty poor season my senior year. Maybe kind of what you talked about. Maybe my expectations were too high right. or a little bit of pressure. Uh, you know, I made the team, and I wasn't playing very well. You know, I, I got paired with Driscoll in the first round in an alternate shot. And we both weren't playing good. You know, I, I was up with on Luke Donald three out three holes after uh, three three after three holes, and I lose on sixteen. And um, I think it was Danny Yates was our captain, basically, kind of saw that my confidence was down, and <clears throat> he benched me for like the next two matches. So I didn't, even, I only got to play two matches, and I was pretty hurt and pretty upset. But I could just see where I wasn't playing good, and I didn't know where the ball was going. And, and down there in Sea Island. Uh, where there's marsh left and right. And I was just having trouble finding the fairways, but pretty special. It's pretty awesome experience. Uh, I still have pictures of, you know, president Bush at our team parties. And, (laughs) you know, it was pretty, pretty, pretty special team to belong to, even though we lost to have that, those old pictures, president Bush was at our party. All those teammates have gone on to bigger and better things, winning majors, you know, I think that's definitely the one you want to have on your belt as an amateur golfer to be a part of that team.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's I've spoken to a lot of a lot of players, a lot of guys, and they've said, that, I mean, that's just one of the biggest highlights of their uh, of their golfing career. I'll get you out of here on this one. We're gonna be watching. Uh, I mean, obviously, you're gonna be watching a lot of uh, what's going on this week. Many of the players we're gonna see this week are, you know, they'll venture into the professional ranks. Uh, you know, a select few of them will. Will definitely make it onto the PGA Tour quickly, and you know most will will toil on developmental tours for a little while, and then some actually will you know won't make it, or maybe they won't turn pro. Yeah, you're um you're 20 years older and wiser. What does a 40 something Jeff Quinnie <laughs> say to a 21 year old Jeff Quinning, knowing what you know now? I
0: think it just absorb the whole thing. You know, obviously there's couple hundred guys there there's only a few that are qualified a few that go on to professional golf it's a it's a hard uh, occupation but i think just absorb it enjoy it um if you have the, the opportunity to be in contention you know just yeah really enjoy it you know i guess you're 21 years old you don't really realize how special it is how hard it is to get there if you're down i guess don't ever give up
1: yeah
0: yeah i mean if you're two down after two holes and you you're in the bag you know just never give up because that guy it's hard to close it out it's hard to close the match out um just enjoy the experience and if you have the fortune of winning the title you know it's just a special club to belong to and a lot of things that come along with it
1: there's another guy that you're kind of familiar with out in arizona that has uh, has his name on the same trophy that you do i've had him on as a guest of the podcast and I mean can you give me any sort of a cult no story that I can hold over <laughs> his head for for at least some time um he also has a a nice podcast called uh, subpar over there with uh, uh on uh, on golf.com's uh platform give me a you got to give me a good cult no story i mean there's a great picture of you two with the with the Havermeyer trophy and it looks like some sort of a drinking establishment uh, <laughs> i know you're probably just having you know chicken fingers and iced teas but um, there's gotta be a cult No story you can share. God, there's gotta
0: be tons of them. I'm trying to narrow one down. But yeah, we yeah, we we hang out quite a bit in Scottsdale um socially and on the on the golf course and uh yeah, my mom was kind enough to buy that replica trophy for my fortieth birthday. Oh wow. Um, so you don't uh, not everybody, you know, gets to keep a replica or you know, that the original trophy is just a one year traveling trophy, so you have to give it back. Sure. And so we contacted, I know ASU had bought one um, just because of Phil Mickelson and Billy Mayfair and myself. So they wanted one for their kind of museum and we were able to to contact the USGA. And, you know, I think that the trophy is made in Europe and it's not cheap. And um, so that was pretty cool. It was a present for my mom for my 40th birthday.
1: That's incredible. We were having
0: brunch at a local bistro in Scottsdale and my buddy Ryan Heyer from Eugene was in town and I don't know why I had the trophy in the car, but he's like go grab the trophy and so pretty fun i mean Colt were sitting there watching i think we were watching the usam on the big screen in, at the breakfast joint so all these people are like what the heck are these people doing <laughs> Why? what did they just win it's a softball tournament or something but
1: a so. couple, couple of beer league softball guys yeah a bunch there.
0: of fat old retired golfers <laughs> so
1: oh my gosh that's so so you win it so you win the trophy and then basically a little less than 20 years later is the first time you actually have have it have a version of it for yourself
0: exactly yeah like it's not cheap i think it's like twelve thousand bucks or something oh my like gosh replica so um my mom was kind enough to get that was my 40th present and uh, I don't know how many golfers or how many players actually have it. So
1: That's very interesting because that's something that most people probably would not think of. They think that they win it and they give it back and then they have a version of it at home and that's it.
0: Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Tiger has all those ones on his mantle. I don't know. Maybe the professionals get ones that are paid for them and you're amateur. Maybe you can't get a trophy or something. Yeah.
1: Um, well, tell your mom that I actually won the third flight of the Palm Beach yeah. County mid Amateur Championship and I can maybe make a call and see where that's going to take to get replicated but uh actually no it's probably yeah it's it's, yeah. it's no, just let's not bother with that well jeff i mean this is a special week for everyone out there at band of dunes competing in the in the u.s amateur special week for you looking back 20 years ago um i know you'll be watching and a lot of us will be watching it and uh yeah u.s amateur championship something that uh that is yours forever so i appreciate you stopping by the back of the range and uh, hopefully we do it again soon and and all the best.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, That was a pretty special experience and best places in the world and uh, look forward to watching them. And-,
1: and there you have it. Special thanks to Jeff Quinney for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'll have some more episodes coming up soon, all about the U.S. Amateur Band of Dunes. So we'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.